Well, good evening, friends. Merry Christmas to you. It is good to see you. And I know that you have lots of things planned for your Christmas Eve. I know there are presents to open at some point in the next 24 hours. I know there are some young folks here who are looking forward to that. And um, I saw something under my tree that I'm looking forward to opening. So um, young and old are, are looking forward to the things that are going to happen. But there's some important things that we must do before we get into that. And it's gather here as the people of God and worship. And be reminded of, of why we wrap those presents up and why we have these festivities. A little bit of what we try to do tonight is, is try to recreate an experience that I had when I was in Israel and I was touring all of the, the holy sites. And we went to a cave where we think this could be where Jesus was born. This could be where shepherds first greeted angels. And I was there with a group of pilgrims, and we just sat around that cave, and we sang Christmas carols together. And so a little bit of what we try to do tonight is just to gather the family around the Christ candle, and let's sing carols together. And let's sing about what God has done in sending His one and only Son. So I'm glad you're here tonight. I'm glad you're here. I have a few thoughts I want to share with you from Luke chapter 2. Pastor Bethany read it. Uh, Kirsten read that. And I have a, a few thoughts I want to share with you. Um, but before I get into that, I don't know if you know this, but Luke 1 and Luke 2 is full of awesome Bible quizzing questions. Luke, you know, is a physician, and he's writing this orderly account of the life of Jesus. And there's so much detail there. And I, I, I thought of three really good Bible quizzing questions that um, you may know the answers to, um, and I'm will. I see someone getting ready to jump over here. We got a teen quizzer over here, um, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to rate. I'm gonna ask you three questions based on Luke chapter one, Luke chapter two. Raise your hand. I'd like to say I have some elaborate prize for you, but here's what I'll do. Next Sunday, when the uh, Central Cafe is open, I'll give you a free specialty drink. Okay, just tell them you won Bible trivia on Christmas Eve. All right. So here's the first question. Um, who issued a decree that the entire Roman world should be taxed? Who is okay, I got, okay, right here. Caesar, which one? Caesar Augustus, that's exactly right. You get a latte and the Central Cafe, all right. Okay, so you ready? Question number two, right? Quizzers, ready? Jump, here we go, question. Um, who was king of Judea in Luke chapter 1? Who was king of Judea? All right, brother. King Herod the Great, and you get a latte. The Esthers are going to be super caffeinated. This is going to be awesome. All right, so this is, um, uh, I'm going to let the, I mean, Esthers, you can still answer this third question, but let's get some other people in the action, okay? This is going to be like a more advanced question. Um, question number three, question, who was governor of Syria? Who was governor of Syria? Talking a latte here. All right, Esther's, what's the end? How about Dwayne from Nazarene Bible College? You're representing thousands of people studying for ministry. I hope you have the right answer, Dwayne. Quirinius, absolutely, and you get a latte. Send your students to Nazarene Bible College. They can learn who the governor of Syria is. L at least learn how to pronounce it. Yeah. Hey, 
I take time to do all that to make a point. That, that Luke is telling this story of Jesus coming into the world, and he's doing so at a, he's wanting us to see that Jesus is coming into a particular time and a particular place with particular people. And Jesus is also entering into this particular time and place with this cast of characters, and there are real problems that are going on here. It's real people in real places, and they're facing real problems. There's a lot of complex things going on here in, in both of these chapters, especially this chapter that tells us that Mary and Joseph, and they don't have a lot of resources, and they have to relocate from Nazareth, Nazareth to Bethlehem for this census. They've got a real problem. Have you ever tried to ride on a donkey for 100 miles when you're nine months pregnant? Anyone ever given that a shot? That sounds like I've never been pregnant. I've never had a donkey, but that sounds like a real problem to me. And so these are real problems in real places that people are facing. And, and I hear the songs of the season, maybe like, like me, you've been driving around town and, and you have your radio tuned to 24-7 Christmas music. I hear the songs of the season that are trying to describe what this season is all about. And I don't think they're, they do a very good job. I don't think they really know the realities that we're celebrating here tonight. Some of the songs that we sing, they just don't do a really good job. And, and, and the movies we watch. You ever watched Christmas movies and, and, and they talk about the Christmas spirit? Do they even know what the Christmas spirit is? What are they talking about? It's not anchored in reality. What we're reading here in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2 is anchored in a, in a real time, in a real place. People with real problems, but these songs that we sing, they, they don't sound like they're very attached to reality at all. In fact, let me give you an example because I know you want me to. Um, if this is one of your favorite Christmas songs, I just want to apologize. Maybe I'll ruin it for you. I know we get attached to these things, but, but I was riding around and, and listening to holiday and Christmas music, and this was one of the songs that was played. And, and you'll probably recognize it. I don't know how this became a Christmas song, but, but it is. And, and let's see if you recognize these lyrics. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. Bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens. Brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favorite things. Cream-colored ponies and crisp apple strudels. I could maybe sing the rest of it. I don't know. I would ruin it for you, though. Doorbells and sleigh bells and schnitzels with noodles. Wild geese that fly with the moon on their wings. These are a few of my favorite things. Now let me fast forward to the, to the, I guess what would be the chorus or the bridge or whatever it is, whatever Julie Andrews wants to call it. But we get to this point in this song where we read or we hear, When the dog bites, when the bee stings, when I'm feeling sad, I simply remember my favorite things, and then I don't feel so bad. You know this song, right? When the dog bites, when the bee stings. All you have to do is think of your favorite things, and then you won't feel bad at all. Now, somehow this became a Christmas song. 
I think the criteria for making this a Christmas song is, is the same criteria that was used to make Die Hard a Christmas movie. <laughs> this is a Christmas song from The Sound of Music. And it's fun, and I enjoy it. But let me tell you that this song is not true. I have, I have proof. So a few years ago, I was training for a half marathon. And if those of you that are runners, you know that you have to run regularly. You have to log miles so that you'll be ready for the half marathon. And, and I was running this little, what we call a maintenance run, just to go out for three or four miles. And I had this regular route that I did, and I was really getting bored with it. And I thought to myself, I want to run a different route. Let me log four miles somewhere else around my house. And there was this dirt road attached to our subdivision there in Arkansas. And I said, I'm just going to go down that dirt road and run around that farm and come back and, and see, see if I can get four miles in that way. So I went down this route I had never ran before. And everything was going really well. And I get to about mile two, about the extent of the loop that I'm going to do. And I come upon this farm and there's this house out on this farm. And I'm running by the house, this little road that goes right out in front of this house. And there's a dog in the front yard, and from a distance, he seemed nice enough, so I just kept on going, and as I got closer to the farmhouse, he began to notice me, and I don't think he was used to people running in front of his house, and he became alarmed at my presence, and I became alarmed at his presence, and I don't know that it was the right thing to do, but I just started running a little faster, and the faster I ran, the, the he thought that was his cue to run faster. That he thought that was his cue to chase me. And, and I, I, as, I, as this dog's approaching me, I discover he's, he's a lot bigger than I thought he was. And, and he looks a whole lot meaner than he did from, from way back in the distance. And so I'm on a full-out sprint at this point, trying to, to get away from this dog. And he is sprinting after me, and he's growling at me and barking at me. And, and I'm pretty scared at this point. I thought, this is it. This, this, is, this is how I go to meet Jesus. <laughs> I was running as, as fast as I could, and the dog got close enough to me just to bite my heel. He just got a hold of my heel, and it was like as soon as he got a taste of me, he decided he didn't like me, and he was satisfied. That was it. He got his bite in, and he just turned around and went back to the house. He was okay with everything that had just happened there, but I like it drew blood. It was a bad deal. I had two teeth marks in my ankle. And, and I get back to the house, and I call my friend who's a vet, and I ask him, what am I supposed to do? And he's like, well, you have to make sure that dog doesn't have rabies. If that dog has rabies, you now have rabies. And it was a whole thing. But it hurt. And I want to tell you this. I thought about my favorite things. I thought about baseball. I thought about golf. I thought about the Chicago Cubs, uh, and I thought about my family too, but, but, but I thought about my favorite things, and you know what? My legs still hurt. I, I, I didn't feel any better after thinking about my favorite things, and, and, and that just really drives home the point that the way our culture talks about Christmas, sings about Christmas, portrays Christmas on movies, it's so detached from the real people that are in this story, the real places that are in this story, the real problems that are in this story, and the real difference that Jesus makes. 
You see, there's no Christmas spirit. There's no think of your favorite things. This, the, the way we sentimentalize this during this season. What really makes a difference is what we read here that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and placed him in a manger. Friends, it really happened in a real place, in a real time, and this baby boy that Mary holds is the Son of God. This baby boy that Mary holds really is 100% God and 100% human. It's this miracle we know as the Incarnation, in which the second person of the Trinity chooses to enter into the human equation in all of its fullness. The way we hurt, Jesus hurt. The way we were betrayed, Jesus is betrayed. The, the way we feel loss and grief and frustration, Jesus feels those same things. He entered into every part of the human experience just like we are right now with one exception. He was without sin. He did so in complete and total faithfulness to God. And here's the, the, the miracle of what happens in the Incarnation. Because Jesus has entered completely into our situation and has done so without sin and has been completely faithful to God, he's now uniquely qualified to accomplish the forgiveness of our sin. The Romans crucified people all the time. The fact that the Romans would crucify someone is nothing exceptional. But the fact that this person was the sinless Son of God, who willingly laid down his life for the atonement of the world, it really happened. It really happened, and it really makes a difference in our lives. This is a real thing that happened in a real time, in a, in a real place. And God is, is wanting to deal with real problems. Not just the real problem of, of Joseph and Mary who don't have any place to stay, but what about the ultimate problem that we have as humanity? This, this ultimate problem that we're born into sin. And, and because we're born into sin, we're born into a state in which we're separated from God. And friends, the scripture tells us that it's appointed for a person to die once and after death to face judgment, after death to stand before the Lord. This is a date that we all have in front of us, a date in which this life will be over and we will stand before the Lord. And what really happened in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is that when that moment comes and we stand before the Lord, we, if we have put our hope and our trust in Jesus, we will have the opportunity to be in relationship with God and the new creation in the new heaven and the new earth forever. God has dealt ultimately with the problem of death. Death itself has been rendered obsolete in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ because of Mary's baby that she wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed in a manger. 
because of what Jesus has done, we have the opportunity to live eternally with God. That's good news. And, and I need to hear that. I need to hear that. I, I remember a time in my life in which I just needed to be reminded of what God had really done in sending his one and only son and the difference that it made. In 2015, I, I got a, in, on December 8, 2015, I got a call from my mom. And she simply said, Mark, I've got something terrible to tell you. Your dad's gone. My dad had died of a heart attack suddenly, without warning. And, and I, I just couldn't believe what she was saying to me on the other side of the phone. I, I literally exchanged a text message with him three hours earlier. And dad was now in the presence of Jesus. And so the next day I got on a, a plane and I, I met my brother at the airport in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And we drove over to Weirton, West Virginia, where they were living at the time and, and greeted my mom. And, and, and we began to do all the things that you do when you lose someone. And, and many of you have been there. Many of you have been there in a similar situation where it was sudden and was without warning. And, and so you're doing all the things. Didn't even have time to really process what had happened, but, but we're at the funeral home and we're making these plans and we just can't believe what is, what is happening. And, it, and it's so interesting to lose someone at the holidays because as you're driving around town, you see all of the, these, these signs of life and all of the, the, the festivities that are going on and, and there's lights everywhere and things are decorated and festive, but you don't feel festive at all. Everyone's bubbling over with the Christmas spirit, but, but not you. Because you're dealing with something real and, and palpable and deep. And, and it's this acute hurt. And so the next day, we're just continuing to kind of go through the motions of Christmas, whatever that is, and, and just trying to figure out what in the world's going on. And, and we... We're there at the house, and, and people from the church had literally brought more food than we could ever eat in, in our entire life. But you know, church people, we don't know what else to do. So let's bring casseroles and food and fried chicken, and it's all piled up there in the kitchen. And, and we just decided, you know what, we can't sit around here and eat all day. Let's go drive around, and you know what, it's Christmas. Let's look at Christmas lights. It's almost like on autopilot. We're driving around just looking at Christmas lights. And really, none of us really wanted to look at Christmas lights, but we also didn't want to look at all that fried chicken either. And so we're out driving around looking at Christmas lights, not really in the spirit of anything. And this one house was really decked out, and it, it caught our attention. And, and so we stopped, and, and we looked at how decorated it was, and they had a a manger scene set out, and they had a little speaker, and it was playing uh, uh, music, and, and I anticipated hearing some kind of, you know, bubblegum pop Christmas song. But when I rolled the window down, these people must have been followers of Jesus because they were playing the great carols of this time. And as soon as I rolled down the window, I heard Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And this line hit me like it never has before. It's the, the last line in the second verse. 
As soon as I rolled the window down, I, I heard this. Mild he lays his glory by, born that men no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. That line hit me like it never had before. For so long, the, the idea of being with Jesus, the idea of resurrection, the idea that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus makes a real difference in our eternity. For so long, that had been an abstract concept to me, an idea. But for the first time, really, in my life, that abstract idea became flesh. It became real. It became something that I was building my life upon in hopes that I might see my Father one day again. Can I read the line to you again? Maybe it will come alive for you tonight the way it did for me. The heart of this Christmas message is that mild he lays his glory by. Born that men no more may die. Jesus is born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give us a second birth. This is good news. And it's good news that gives you hope in the midst of whatever real problem you're facing tonight. Jesus really became flesh. And he's really here in this moment. And he really wants to have a relationship with you. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to lead us in a time of prayer. And, and I think tonight there, there might be someone who's saying, you know what? I, I need this Jesus. This Jesus who loved me enough to enter into the human experience. I need this Jesus in my life. I need to put my hope and my trust in him. If, if that's you tonight, if you've never put your hope and your trust in Jesus, I want to invite you to trust Christ for salvation. I, I want to invite you to build your life on him and to enter into a relationship with Jesus tonight. The Bible says that to do that, we simply need to confess in faith that Jesus is Lord. We simply need to believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. And the Bible says we will be saved. We will be in relationship with Jesus. So tonight, if that's you, if you'd like to put your hope and your trust in Jesus, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence that is in this place. It's really here. We're not alone. You're here with us. And Lord Jesus, I, I pray for that person here tonight, that man, that woman, the student, the young person, the child, that person here tonight that you're speaking to their heart and you're saying, I want to be in relationship with you. I wanna have a real relationship with you not just for this lifetime, but for eternity. Lord, I thank you 
that you, in, you invite all of us into a relationship with you. And, and so, Lord, I pray for that person tonight who is opening their life up and saying, Lord, I trust in you. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of how I have rebelled. Forgive me of how I have chosen to be first place in my life. And Lord, I make you first place. I give you complete control of my life. We thank you, Father, that you forgive us of our sins, that you enter into our lives, and you transform us, and you make us more like you. So Lord, may tonight be the beginning of something new in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen.